0: today the 7th of September this is Monocle's house view today.
1: I will never surrender the control of our negotiations in the way the Leader of the Opposition is demanding. We're not surrendering because we're at war with Europe, yeah. they
2: are surely our partners. If anything, it is a no-deal exit that would mean surrendering our industry, our jobs, surrendering our
3: standards of protections in a trade deal with Donald Trump and the United States.
0: My guests, Joy Lodico and Vincent MacAvini, will go over a week when Britain's politics are tested to their limits again. All that in the day's newspapers too. Monocle's House View starts now. very good morning to you. I'm Emma Nelson and a very warm welcome to Monocle's House View. My guests in the studio are the journalist Joy Ladico and Vincent McEvaney, the UK correspondent for Euronews. Welcome back. Good morning. morning. A very happy weekend to you. I suspect that the last thing you wanted to do is be talking about politics at an end of a week when I imagine that the pair of you were knee deep in it in Westminster this week.
1: Spent the whole thing camped on the green outside of Parliament Uh, or Downing Street. So, um, you know, I I had a throbbing headache. The the protesters were back. Back in force, Mr. Xylophone was back as well, much to everyone's detriment. And yeah, you know the adage of a week is a long time in politics. Well, this has felt like a very long, long week. Um, Well, I I know it slightly more from the kind of
2: social contacts uh, and uh, a scene where it is becoming increasingly fraught in London society to have conversations because people are so entrenched in either the Johnson camp or the anti-Johnson camp. And um, within, from what I know from within number 10, I mean, there's a kind of real hunkering down and a kind of bafflement as to how it's gone quite so wrong so quickly. It Uh, it has
0: gone very wrong very quickly, hasn't it, John?
2: Meanwhile, the rebels and their kind of uh, allies are pretty much skipping down the street, kind of whistling in happiness. Um, the um, Somebody married into the Johnson family is said to be absolutely delighted at um, what's been happening, so, you know, entertaining.
0: It has been a very, very entertaining uh, week, and I must confess that Remainers, who I have spoken to, have had a little bit more of a spring in their step, because arguably this was the first time at all that anybody felt that there'd been some sort of breakthrough hadn't there Vincent? Uh, Admittedly, I think this is the it biggest
1: week since the referendum absolutely the biggest week since the referendum and I mean okay I mean the quick uptake Boris Johnson in a week has lost his leader in Scotland lost his brother from the government lost his majority lost his first three votes becoming the first prime Minister in British history to do so uh, yesterday managed to knock over one of his own coppers with the police uh, with a bull uh, and got a complaint from a police force for possibly wasting police time by using them as a backdrop in a speech which was meant to be about police hiring but turned out to be a disastrous one about Brexit so I mean that, and that's just the top lines there's so much else to talk about uh, you know but it just it, it has been for anyone watching in and I mean I, I'm a big fan of US late night shows they've been hooked on it you know mm-hmm. Stephen Colbert all of those they've been playing the clips I've been saying to conservatives like Philip Lee who interviewed yesterday is like you know you were on like American late night TV like all this week like you know they were talking about it being you know a mic drop in British politics it's just Been crazy. I mean, indeed,
2: it's it's in terms of kind of like series three of Brexit. It has in fact been a really big opening. It was like the red wedding in
1: Game of Thrones.
0: Right. So, what was supposed to happen this week? He wants oh, to have a go at that.
1: Okay, what was supposed to happen? Um, our new uh, bold, thrusting prime minister, with the backing of his genius mandarin Dominic Cummings, was meant to take the fight as if he was storming the beaches, uh, and you know was meant to re-bolden his, uh, you know, his "I'm going, you give me a deal" position by getting a general election, by forcing a general election, pretending he didn't want one, but then getting one, calculating that the opposition party is so desperate for a general election would do that but not realizing that some people uh, do put country ahead of party and personal ambition.
0: And what did we end
1: up having, Jo? Well, we we ended up having a route by um, the
2: the no no dealers who essentially you mentioned Dominic Cummings. He has a strategy, and he you're right that he didn't factor in the fact that various people in fact wouldn't act as he expected them to act. So there are all sorts of probabilities, but the point about probability there's also occasionally the improbability, which is Labour not conceding to an election. Um, what's happened? Also, by that move to threaten to sack twenty you know very seasoned Tory MPs, was again they assumed that they would climb down, they in fact lost their majority, so now the majority in the House, which has always stood for no no deal, has now coalesced it 's now kind of galvanized into a force in itself, so the Prime Minister is now a minority, and he is being kind of led by the nose by the House. The House of Commons and
1: now also the House of Lords. You know, so many. I was in Westminster all week and, you know, things I never thought I would see. Dominic Cummings, and we're talking about him as if you should know him, but he is the head in number 10. He was played by Benedict Cumberbatch in the Brexit drama last year. I mean, in Lobby this week, in eight years of being a kind of Lobby member, Dominic Cummings came to Lobby and stood at the back and watched Lobby, and that's the British political briefing. I've never seen that before. It was remarkable. It was like he was haunting the room and people just went up to him afterwards and he wouldn't speak. And, you know, you. When when you've turned yourself into a political tribute act to Winston Churchill and then sack his grandson, who's been an MP for 38 years, who is on the verge of tears in the Commons... Uh, You know, and Jess Phillips gets up and does this speech saying, you've all, pointing across the aisle, said, you know, for the last three years, you've all come up to me and offered me, you know, your kind words about the insurgency in my party. Well, we've never kicked out. You know, this hasn't happened in ours and it's happened in yours overnight. It was uh, just remarkable. I think the other thing that's become apparent is
2: that Dominic Cummings, who has been very good at uh, marketing and theorising how to mobilise a rebellious Brexit vote in this country, has now moved from being in a state of opposition to being in power. And that uh, anecdote about him going to the lobby... Was actually him learning how the process of government works, which is very subtle. And there's kind of, you know,
1: there's a but way. It, did, it totally threw off the Prime Minister's spokesperson because it was like, ha- you know, having your boss in the room as well. It had the inverse effect. It's interesting that yeah. you're saying that that's how he was learning how but, it worked. But but it just-
2: he may have said absolutely nothing, but he doesn't actually know whatever that has ever happened in a lobby briefing. Yeah. Also, the um,
1: reports that he confronted Corbyn uh, apparently on the night, yelling at him in a corridor in Westminster. I mean, this is a. Well, I mean, I, I don't like to say that about anyone until you actually know. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, from people inside the work side number ten, it does sound like it has just been a disastrous week, and it's you know it, the wheels have certainly come off. Yeah, the, and- d- a
0: disastrous week, um, which has seen, actually, the many people have said Britain's democracy actually winning in this. I mean, you mentioned a little while ago um, Stephen Colbert in, in America, you, you know, just watching Brexit every night and for the first time flagging up the United Kingdom's mess as an example of what should happen in America. Yeah, it's
1: literally like okay you guys got Trump hold my beer we can do one better like that is that is how remarkable it has been and, and you know part of it was that you know I think in Boris Johnson's calculation especially with you know things that we you know wouldn't normally think we would see like you know the you know him taking his girlfriend now to Balmoral for a weekend with the Queen things that wouldn't have gone by in past generations you know I think in Johnson's calculation was that the kind of window of what's acceptable and what you can do in politics and life had changed so much in Trump's time and he thought that he would would be able to easily transition now to Prime Minister, but that doesn't seem to have been the case. So many things are actually not working out as he thought they would. It is going to be a Shakespearean lesson of getting what you want after all this time and it not playing out as you quite thought.
2: And I think one of the most extraordinary things, which we haven't mentioned yet, is this fact that he's basically suggested he is happy to break the law, the law made uh, by the House of Commons, the law which, you know, any piece of legislation... Cameron famously said you can't be uh, a lawmaker and a lawbreaker when he was asked as to whether he was taking drugs. And that formulation now is how does the Prime Minister make any form of legislation in this country if he himself is happy to obey it in theory was what he put this this is a story
0: that's breaking this morning sorry sorry to interrupt but just to explain boris johnson um, has been said that um, he could be i'm quoting a brexit martyr he wants to break the law to force no deal um which is astonishing but it goes back to the whole thing that we've seen this week which is the idea of the institution being bigger than those who try to run it, I think, it Is yeah. it winning? Though? Is the institution
1: winning? I think it is. I think it is holding firmer than we thought. But I think, you know, I, I did law as an undergraduate and you're told like the, the beauty of the British constitution mm. is that it's got this flexibility, but we all know the norms. And, you know, I think it's us and Israel are the only countries in the world that don't have written down constitutions. There are serious questions and lots of MPs this week have said uh, when I've spoken to them, we have to seriously talk about whether we codify this now, mm. some mm. way of doing it, because this has tested it to a real breaking point, and just you know, it's divided the nation. It's divided parties. It divides families. It divides friendship groups. I think everyone at some point this week has probably had an argument with someone that they love. I turned my this. back yes. on someone. So, you know, As it's a party because
0: they were they were they're, they're massively pro no deal, yeah. and I, I actually didn't have the words or the courage to speak to someone because I thought I don't know where I'm going to begin. So I just discreetly found my, just pivoted away. But we were talking about the divisions in in so many divisions that have been exposed this week. Um, joy. One thing that we w- almost was the prime example of duty to one's country versus duty to one's party. Um, we saw the 21. Tory rebels being purged but we also saw that sort of Shakespearean moment when the Prime Minister's own brother walked away from him oh. um, uh, he had had a, a long discussion
2: with him on the phone the previous evening which seemed to be inconclusive and I assume Boris Johnson had assumed Joe had slept tonight and decided not to do anything rash um, now I, I don't quite know why Boris Johnson is allowed to do rash things, but his brother is not. Um, he, uh, Joe Johnson is married to Amelia Gentleman, who is a reporter on The Guardian. And it sounds very much like she has also perhaps raised an eyebrow about the fact he's been willing to serve in um, Boris Johnson's cabinet. And overnight he decided that in fact this was not the direction he wanted to take in his life and his resignation statement was very it was absolute it was I'm resigning as a minister I'm also resigning as an MP so that's it I'm out of politics um, I don't want to have anything to do with it what's unusual is how many of those who have become rebels are actually start- dropping out of politics and I can't quite figure out at this point in time I would think I would stay and fight in a different position and it's been a sort of slight disappointment that they are sp- sad. that they are stepping away from this particular battle but they have I've been doing
1: it for three years and are probably feeling quite exhausted. I mean, part of them, part of me thinks they might have seen some internal polling, kind of, you know, Justine Greening, you know, the seat is very much Remain and she's worried about it, the seat that Chukoramuna has now swapped to very much Remain, it could be a Tory loss, I think, for Mark Field. Um, and, it, yeah, it, it's just, I think, you know, for, in Joe Johnson, a lot of people, I'm an only child, so I had to ask some friends, like, if your brother did this to you, how would you feel on that morning? Because I was like, obviously this would feel terrible, but just how bad a blow is this? You know, Joe Johnson actually quit Theresa. May's government in his defence because of the direction of travel on Brexit. He had already made clear his position was very different to his brother. His brother asked him to be in the government and he went into it and he did it out of brotherly loyalty. But ultimately it shouldn't have come as a surprise to Boris Johnson when his brother had already left one government over Brexit that the way that he was doing it would make it untenable for him.
2: But he was also a little bit of a canary in the coal mine because... Within cabinet, people have begun to raise questions about what Boris Johnson is doing, and that sacking of the twenty-one was a, a massive issue. Where you know people who should have been people who are on the on the cusp anyway began to say, "Well, why am I serving in this government?" And Michael Gove, who is in charge of No Deal preparations now and was one of the Tory um, contenders to be the leader, has having to smooth feathers and just tell everybody it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, I've long held Michael Gove in high esteem, even though I don't agree with his politics at all. But you could see him at the dispatch box box being far more competent than Boris Johnson. He's got a much better ability to spot where the problems are coming and to try and calm things down, whereas Johnson wants to explode things.
0: So what happens now? I mean, you're talking about the, the canaries in the coal mine, the people on the margins of the Conservative Party. Many have suggested that this is the end of the Conservative Party as we, as we see it now. What happens to those who've left? Is there an appetite, an energy, a possibility of galvanising all those moderate centre-right um, characters from across the parties to pull together because we're seeing more alliances being built in the Remain camps this week.
1: I, I don't think the Conservative Party will ever be the same again. I mean, there was a fault line in this party that had widened into a chasm and this week it's just been an earthquake and everything has fallen down on them. And, you know, you've got people like David Gork very, coming out and saying he'd been an MP for 14 years, never once voted against the Tory whip ever until this week and was kicked out. Whereas Jacob Rees-Mogg has voted, I think, ninety to, over 90 times against the whip uh, and you know was is now the leader of the House of Commons. And I think that kind of, you know, that those stark figures like that and, you know, well-respected, former chancellors, former high members of government uh, leaving and whilst we all thought for years that the insurgency was going on inside the Labour Party, it seems that it was an insurgency inside the Conservative Party uh, where it has been taken down this kind of hard line. And what we know is that they don't win there David Cameron got an election victory unexpectedly in 2016 for the first time getting a majority since 1992 for the Conservatives by taking the party to the centre when they push back this way and they look like the nasty party which is what David Gork was very cleverly saying in that tweet it doesn't resonate well and even if you try and make it about a brexit election i think there has been huge damage on the trust side of boris johnson and one little thing i'll put out this in the papers today that owen bennett very good journalist at telegraph has spotted uh, is in the papers that came out in the court case um Boris, uh, you know, continues his ridiculous rivalry with David Cameron saying that the only reason that we have this little two-week time in parliamentary calendar is because Cameron is a girly swat. And the Prime Minister wrote a note, and there's a picture of it in the Telegraph, where he says girly swat Cameron. And you just think that's not the conduct of someone in high office mm. to write that about a predecessor can I just say we haven't mentioned prorogation at all which is happening next week we haven't mentioned
2: Jacob rees mogg we did li- want uh, lying been across, to duck him uh, lying <laughs> across the seats of parliament but there is one thing there's some vinegar to this oil this idea that the, the, the rebel alliance is gaining grounds which is the polls are still in favour of Boris Johnson And further down the line, if he does not get his Brexit on October the 31st and is in jail um, or (laughs) somewhere on the way to jail, he and the Brexit party stand very much like they are now in talks about a Brexit pact. So however much people don't like it, the two of them are collecting, c- collectively uh, collecting votes. Um, I would put a note of caution on those polls that show that c- combined they could win because there'll be a number of Conservatives um, who will hold their nose at voting for the Brexit party and there'll be a number of Labour-inclined Brexit party
1: members who will hold their nose at any deal with the Conservatives. And, uh, I, think, I think, I genuinely feel that like the rogue factor in this election will be the Liberal Democrats because in the early 2000s, the one thing you knew about them was that they were the anti-Iraq war party and they got millions of votes and it didn't translate to as many seats as they should have done under our quirky system but they did get up to about 60 MPs they have a very clear message on Brexit something the Labour Party is still struggling with as Emily Thornbury showed on Question Time where she just got an absolute muddle about their position on Thursday whereas the Lib Dems they divide the Conservative vote in the South West they divide parts of the Labour vote in the North they have little fiefdoms they can do quite well in Scotland I think they could be a rogue force in this general election One thing um, that I
0: would love to know and I think maybe if you're not intimately connected with British politics, is what is it about Boris Johnson that still means that the Tory Party are ahead and and, and Boris Johnson it does still have charm. It's something that's absolutely baffled my family. You just say, well, what is it that got him to be leader? And the only thing that I can remember is that when I once um, had to cover him going to a market in absolutely left-wing Remain working class London and people came out and they were like Boris and he charmed them and he wooed them but we've seen such a mess happen this week what is it that's still getting him
2: all, this, all, the, all the support. Well, there's something amazing which is about kind of fame and recognition. Somebody who I know, who's kind of died in the world, kind of greeny Corbyn Easter just said, "Oh, I might vote for Boris." You know, he's a he's a laugh. Now, I don't think he's been much of a laugh this week, so I'm wondering whether opinions will change about that. But yeah, people just get genuinely excited by kind of a sense he's of his, celebrity, his status. Celebrity. But if you watch him in a crowd, or you can watch him in the Commons this week, and you watch him on the streets, if the audience is friendly, he's absolutely brilliant. The minute you get a hostile audience, as he did up in Leeds where somebody was saying, why are you not in Brussels negotiating? He just melts. You know, he he needs
1: kind of, he needs a, a applause and love yeah. in order to actually thrive. This You know, the, the 2016 Boris was interesting because it was the first time he was back, he was out of the mayorship, he was back uh, as an MP and he backed leave and it was the first time he had boos and it really shook him. He had people forming huge swathes of crowds around his house booing him with signs and he hadn't had that before and it did shake him and it shook him in the 2016 20- 16 leadership campaign and that's the boris that we've seen this week this very slightly lost boris the one that's not winning the smiles and everything mm-hmm. i think you know just a uh, final one this uh, it struck me all week there's this amazing sliding doors moment in boris johnson's life we all know the story that he had a leave article and he had a remain article and he picked the leave one and everything we all know everything that's happened in the last three years and he's finally in place and it's not going well but if he'd sent that remain one at roughly the time he became Prime Minister David Cameron would have stood down he would have trounced George Osborne in a leadership election and been Prime Minister now probably still and wouldn't be dealing with Brexit because I think he did sway the balance on the vote that's Mm. the most remarkable thing is that Possibly, you know, he could have been in the same position now and been a normal prime minister, not what is happening.
0: It reminds me of, a, of something that Jeffrey um, Howard, the political uh, theorist, just said to Monocle about an hour ago, which is, um, it's great when you're a journalist and you can write a, uh, a thousand words and dash off a strong idea and then forget about it. It's a completely different game when you actually have to put that into policy. What does it say, perhaps, about journalists and whether they are suitable? become politicians. Um, I I was having a fascinating
2: conversation last night about about something journalists have failed to spot which is because of the prorogation the Northern Ireland Bill runs out of time in late October which means that uh, Northern Ireland returns to direct rule which means we're in breach of the Good Friday Agreement an international treaty. We are so busy worrying about Jacob Rees-Mogg and his posture we haven't noticed that we're about to breach the very peace treaty we signed that stopped. Which has been the issue with the backstop. (laughs) Essentially a civil war that was going on in this country 25 Years ago, um, and so we're dashing out on 1,000 word articles without yeah. really looking at kind well, of what well, the long still term great, is. Still
1: this is the thing: Northern Ireland still has a high rate of violence and political yeah. murders, and all these things. It is still go- the violence there is still going on. It's just less subdued, but it's right there under the surface, as we saw with the tragic death of Leria McKee mm. Earlier this
0: year, you're listening to Monocle's House View with me, Emma Nelson, Vincent McAdvinny and Joy Ladico. Coming up next, we abandon Brexit and look at the newspapers.
3: Monocle's September issue is here and we're getting busy in this bumper business edition. Before we get on with the job, we meet the new Dean of New York's famed Parsons School of Design in the handsome surrounds of the Rose Reading Room in the city's public library. In affairs, we view the way to work through a diplomatic lens, joining the French Ambassador to Italy to learn how to host 3,000 sharply dressed guests whilst showcasing the best assets of his nation, champagne and all. The business section is packed with insight from bright young entrepreneurs and seasoned CEOs alike. From a Spanish restaurateur with a new way of feeding customers to some bright new ideas on the four-day work week, we spin the globe and forecast the future of work. In culture, we put crowdfunding in the media to the test and find out what it takes for a new publication to stand out. Plus, we ask directors of some of the best museums how they manage. Then we retreat into the sun-soaked Californian countryside to relax in a modernist getaway that's been given a new lease of life. Our September issue is out now. Get your copy today or subscribe at monocle.com.
0: Welcome back to Monocle's House View. I'm Emma Nelson. Still with me are Joy Lodico and Vincent McAvinney. Let's have a look at the newspapers. An an awful lot about Robert Mugabe. Possibly one would say that one of the simplest obituaries ever written. He started off well and then it was horrendous.
1: Yeah, live long enough to see yourself become the villain, essentially. Yeah, we were having this conversation before we came in. There's been so much happening here that lots of things, you know, Netanyahu was here, Mike Pence was here. We totally missed that. Uh, and, you know, then Mugabe dies and it doesn't seem as big a news as it would do uh, in normal times. But, yeah, there's some you know, amazing story that he finally died age 95 after having had medical treatment in Singapore. Uh, and it now is really kind of... You know, it's that strange scenario, and some of the reporting I've seen, a bit like how people in the uh, former USSR now kind of miss the nostalgia of the USSR because they think things have gone badly and forget how bad it was then. You've got people in Zimbabwe sort of missing uh, Mugabe, looking back a little bit rose-tinted on that time because things have gone worse now, which is the crazy thing. And the messaging from the Zimbabwean government as well has been quite f- interesting to hear them talking about him as the liberator of a country and wanting to very much skip over the uh, the latter to darker years. Yeah. Um, but
2: also, I think there's been confusion as to whether you can call it the end of an era or not, because in fact, the era has carried on in a sort of somewhat more messy fashion. Um, there was one fantastic random story in the Daily Star, which is a kind of yellow journalism tabloid, saying that he had died while watching old episodes of Grange Hill, a British kids TV show. And I thought, this is absolutely the most extraordinary. How do you come up with, I don't think this is true at all, but how do you manage to put Grange Hill and the death of Robert Mugabe into the same story it goes from sort of you know the the, the, the high you know high drama to absolutely pathetic
1: this like- is a paper that had a splash the other day about killer boobs yeah, so I, I think you know that's that's the level it's I at know. but also remarkable little story to come out as well now, I've seen coverage this week of his sons uh, one was obviously called Robert Jr and I can't remember the other one that he had with uh, his wife Gucci Grace um, who basically just looked like they are trying to be Instagram influencers they just kind of it was all Snapchats and Instagram posts. Them, they were at a party pouring champagne over their watches, uh, and in like, and one of the posts was a diamond encrusted watch, and the and the claim was, "Oh, you can well afford a sixty thousand watch a week habit when your dad owns the country." And you're just like, it's remarkable, like you know the crassness. The, the crassness of it. The, is My jaw has dro- just
0: dropped further than the um, than when I heard the Grange Hill story. <laughs> uh, what else is in the papers?
2: um Well, there's an interesting story about Extinction Rebellion, which is this. um climate change protest group that has become um, I'm actually just writing a piece about them absolutely kind of entrenched in all sorts of extraordinary places in British society Um, and uh, and they have they held a fundraiser, they've been trying to fundraise half a million and they have indeed got a cheque, one cheque from um, one of the heirs of um, the Getty family Eileen Getty, who's just given them 500000 or $600,000 to help um, fund their campaigning and their activism on the streets They are very, very fashionable at the moment Everybody wants to hear from Extinction Rebellion but uh, Also partly because it's a distraction from Brexit because they in fact don't take a position on Brexit, they just take a position on climate change and say we must accelerate what we're doing. They are remarkably persuasive. I went to one of their fundraising evenings, a group, I think they gathered about 30 people with big checkbooks in a room and gave them their presentations. And their presentations is a bit like going to church. And it's a sermon, um, which makes you kind of vibrate with feeling about the kind of the grief in particular of what climate change is doing. And the, the you know, they're converting people at an extraordinary rate. They're also, interestingly, converting people in what we would call the
1: Brexit areas, the kind of flyover areas, who are essentially we've got North nothing to lose. The to the land, yeah. yeah. I think there's, and just on that before we come to another story, um, there's a really interesting uh, thing playing out in the US election. Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, who's one of the kind of top tier candidates now, uh, you know, just behind the kind of key three, he is very much painting climate change. He's quite a religious person uh, and says that for too long the right has dominated the religious vote. And he has started painting climate change change as a sin and saying you know if you believe you know if you think that god gave us this world or a creator gave us this world do you think they'd be happy that we're trashing it do you think that that's right and trying to take it down that narrative about the land and you know and treating it with respect has been quite an interesting turn i was thinking about ju- this just this morning because i think what's happening is that
2: we are looking at um episodes in, in weather in fires in climate change that we are beginning to think of in terms of that, that they are biblical and they have they, be, they begin to resonate with stories we were all told as a child of disaster coming and I think that's what extinction rebellion with never saying it but they've worked out that they are kind of almost do a religious conversion on people I've met people I've met a woman whose husband who's very senior in Goldman Sachs was on the verge of giving up his career to go and join extinction rebellion he'd been so moved by what they were saying so you're getting literally from the the person who goes, oh Brexit, this country is no good. Nobody listens to us. Brexit to Goldman Sachs, all saying actually climate is more important.
1: And I've got to say, I've done quite a few Extinction Rebellion protests this, this uh, year, and you do, you know, when you go to a protest, you do get a mixed bag of people sometimes mm. who are just there and whatever. But not got to say rebellion. They're, they're the politest,
0: sweetest they, it people. Is,
1: they are so polite, and mm. you ask people for interviews, they stop and talk to you. They have read the facts, they know what they're talking about. It is a very interesting yeah. protest. Everybody's got I, a had to, I had
0: to go to the uh, the first um, court appearance of the Extinction Rebellion people I think they're trying to get a thousand people through the British yeah. courts and every time someone stood up everyone gave them a round of applause yeah. and sang and gave them a cuddle as they went <laughs> into court it was absolutely it's, glorious I mean, they and really especially that
1: line that they're using about when your grandkids say what did you do in the war Daddy?" Yeah. and replace the war with the climate change yeah. disaster that is a very powerful line to start using
2: and they're sort of upending if Boris Johnson is trying to upend the system they're trying to upend the system in a completely different way by saying police arrest us, we have done something serious enough uh, that you, th- you that you think is arrestable but we think in fact is an act of virtue and that by playing with this kind of being very friendly to everybody and not being a typical protest group, nobody knows quite how to categorise them and they're going to have a real in- interesting issue when they try to stop them um, when they start doing their protests in, again in October.
0: Vincent McIverney and Joy Ladico, thank you both for being here on today's programme. That's all we have time for today's edition of Monocle View. Our supervising producer is Ben Ryland, our researcher is Charlie Phil McCord, and our studio manager is Nora Hull. Coming up in a moment, Monocle's Arts Weekender, so stick around for more great radio. But for now, from me, Emma Nelson, goodbye. Thanks very much for listening.